0: It's Wednesday, August 20th. Welcome to Market Foolery. It's not really Wednesday, August 20th. You know, we're, 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 we're pre taping this whole week. But uh, I'm Chris Hill. With me in studio today, the managing director of Fool.com, Austin Smith. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for having me. It's been a um,
0: while. Uh, it has been a while. You're a busy guy. So I, I appreciate you taking the time here. Uh, and allowing me to essentially dragoon you into
1: this. Well, see, I'm not busy. I just walk around enough so that people think I'm busy, but yeah. apparently it's worked because I've nice. fooled the, you for That's for the years.
0: Seinfeld. <laughs> that's the the George Costanza. If you walk around, you have, maybe have a clipboard in your hand, you sort mm-hmm. of have this vaguely annoyed look on your face. People are like, wow, that guy's working.
1: You know, it, I took inspiration from West Wing. I don't know if you ever – Sure, like Yeah. That. Everybody in that show, every scene, people were walking, right? Yes. And they must have, therefore, been very busy and important. I don't think they ever had any desks yeah. in the entire West Wing.
0: That, um, uh, I don't know if it was, I don't think it was on that show, but related to that show. Someone was writing about that and referred to that act where two people are essentially having having a meeting where they are walking as a peda conference.
1: I like it. It's like, peda conference, there you go. Don't tell our CEO, though, because we will have a... 30% at right. a conference, mandated minimum for all meetings. Uh,
0: Tom Gardner, very much a fan of the walking treadmill right. desk. Um, okay, so this actually ties into something I wanted to talk to you about, <laughs> which is, the I wanted to get your thoughts on the market in general. Um, but let's start with our CEO, who has said, publicly, uh, at the beginning of this year, that he believes there will be a 10% drop in mm-hmm. 2014. Just statistically, we're due for one, because one happens about 11, every 11 months or so. Um, and he also said that if it did not happen, he would walk a marathon on his treadmill desk. Um, so, for the sake of his feet, I guess, and his, his ankles, I'm, I'm sort of hoping that we have a drop. But part of me is like, well, you know, you're the one who said you were going to walk a marathon on a treadmill desk. So, you 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 made your bed, you're lying it. But but when you look at the market right now, let's bring it back to the market. Um, where do you think we are? I, I, I and I'll just preface this by saying, in general, the market is doing better than I thought it would at this point. Just because 2013 was so great was mm-hmm. was just such an outlier year. Like one, I think one of the like the fifth best year of the last six decades. And so, I thought, well, gosh, I mean, there, there's got to be some sort of reversion and drop. And the, and the market, and particularly the earnings that we're seeing, on balance, they're holding up pretty well.
1: Mm-hmm. So, as for where we are, uh, <laughs> that's all I can say is that we're higher than we were 12 months ago. Right. Um, I, I don't know where we sit in the spectrum of, of where the market will eventually be. I mean, of course, over the very long run, we believe it will be up and to the right. You know, If you bet on innovation and entrepreneurialism, that, that, that's a pretty safe conclusion to draw. It, I, I presume you know, the thought on people's minds and what you're you're getting at is is the market overvalued and you know is are we in a rich environment is this too expensive and I by looking at maybe the traditional metrics you know the Schiller cape um, PE ratio some people would be inclined to say yes but at the same time I also have to be aware of this fact that everybody is hyper aware of how the market is valued and yeah. by, by the very nature of what we've seen in markets and how they've worked uh, When things are this, when people are this aware of it, you kind of don't get surprised by huge drops, right? I mean, it's, uh, by the the very nature of people being concerned about it being overvalued, I actually have a little bit less risk that that we go through a huge drop in the near future because that's just not the nature of how these things unfold. You know, there's no black swans if everybody's talking about it.
0: Uh, On the day that we are taping this, one of the big stories in the news is Coca-Cola taking a stake in Monster Beverage. Um, and one of the thoughts that went through my head when I saw this was, oh, okay, here's another huge company that can't organically grow the way it wants to, so therefore it's just going to buy some growth, which is fine. And and that can work out for companies. But just as for the last couple of years we've seen a lot of companies reverting to paying bigger dividends because they have this ever-increasing pile of cash. I mean, we talk all the time about Apple's massive pile of cash, but it's worth noting that most companies, for their own corporate history, are sitting on a record pile of cash. And mm-hmm. so, for a couple of years, it was, well, we're just going to pay out more dividends. I feel like 2014 is is less that and more, well, we're just going to go out and buy growth. And I don't know that that's going to work out so well? Because, it, it I mean, we, it, this is against the backdrop of other large companies scaling back. AIG, Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble mm-hmm. recently coming out and saying, we're cutting half of our brands.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And the the history of sort of massive M&A activity has, uh, you know, if history echoes or even repeats to a modest effect, we would assume that a lot of these deals are going to end up uh, going belly up in the medium to, to long future. It does not get me super excited to see big companies spending a lot of cash. Yeah, I admit the uh, the Beats acquisition had me scratching my head a little bit. I think the
0: Apple buying Beats,
1: yeah, the uh, the Zillow Trulia deal uh, was a eye watering um, valuation. Granted, Zillow used what are arguably very exp- and a very expensive currency to to do it. Um, Yeah, I'm not thrilled to see huge M&A activity. I would much rather have seen this happen 12 months ago, 16 months ago, when prices were depressed. But as you and I talked about coming into the show, this is a a typical story in corporate America where they kind of tend to lag the most opportune time for a certain decision. Buybacks would have been really great in 2010, 2011. They happened uh, after the market had run up a little bit. Acquisitions would have been really great uh, maybe a year, a year and a half ago. So... Um, Yeah, to to see this happening in mass worries me a little bit, but that doesn't necessarily mean anybody should make a market call and say, oh, you know, this is bad news for the market as a whole. Remember, we invest in individual companies. There are responsible acquisitions being made every day. There are irresponsible ones made every day. So just because they happen to be happening maybe irresponsibly in mass does not mean that the company you own is going to be affected by that
0: yeah and just going back to coke on the flip side if you want to look at uh the positives of it they're not buying monster beverage outright outright they're taking a stake in it mm-hmm. they're swapping some brands so and in, they're sending their energy drinks to monster in return they're getting natural sodas and and one of the other thoughts i had was coke is kind of betting on every horse in the race when it comes to beverages mm-hmm. like oh well we'll have you know our energy drinks, will have our natural drinks, our sodas, our waters, our tea, you know, Honest Tea, and, and, of course, Coke and Diet Coke, which continue to decline in North America in consumption.
1: I, uh, I would also point out that, you know, as, as far as acquisitions go, the, the Coke Monster Beverage one is, it is such a small bet in their aggregate yeah. portfolio. And I would also argue that if there is going to be an acquisition that that makes sense, it's going to be in a situation like this where, you know, Monster Beverage... Yeah, is is a growing brand, and they're they're going to start bumping up against you know major distribution issues without the likes of someone like Coke. And I think you know for what Coke did with Honest Tea as a great example, you know you reach a certain capacity, uh, your future growth has to come with massive assistance from distribution. So this is a case where it makes sense. It's not like Coke is, you know, not that there are many equals short of Pepsi, but it's not like Coke is, you know, trying to bite off a huge company here. Yeah. buying something their size, this is this is an acquisition that makes sense because the the growth in Monster's brand and, and affinity and awareness can only be enhanced by Coke's distribution. So that does seem to have a lot of uh, merit, although, um, you know, yeah, massive M&A activity does, you know, cause you to pause a little bit. You want to make sure your companies are doing it right. You want to evaluate every deal individually, make sure that it makes sense in the context of the what the acquiring company hopes to get out of it, and they're not just looking to spend cash.
0: By the time this airs, I am uh, I think there's a decent chance Pepsi will have responded in some way, because it really seems like whenever <laughs> one of those two companies makes a move, the other makes a corresponding move. Um,
1: in, in unrelated news, Pepsi's coming out with new Pepsi this year. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're they're big bet. Fantastic.
0: Um, how do you get your news? Because you're someone who oversees, uh, arguably, a news operation in fool.com. I know we don't really think of what we do as news in the classical sense of defined journalism but it, it we are we are writing about and analyzing what's going on in the stock market. Mm-hmm. but as someone who oversees that, how do you get your own ideas because you're also an active investor?
1: Mm-hmm. So I uh, for my own personal investing I have a pretty small portfolio of idea generating tools. Uh, Full.com certainly, every day. I read articles that I love and inform my investment decisions. I follow all of our newsletters. I think we have some of the world's best analysts and advisors on them, and, and they've done very well for me. And then I also have a sort of a separate email address that I've set up to collect some uh, other investing newsletters from, from minds that I respect. Um, what I have done, though, is I, I noticed you know, that there is so much news available, there are so many ideas to digest. Yeah, Twitter and Facebook have exacerbated that. The availability of just you know one-click email subscriptions uh, to you know newsletters have have exacerbated that. You, I think investors are really well better served in this environment where you can get access to so many ideas. Really trying to slow down and narrow the ideas they're ingesting, and this this it reminds me of a really great post that Scott Hall and Joe Mager did in Inside Value recent recently, which is one of the greatest difficulties of investing in this modern era. Is that you can get exposure to investing ideas and strategies way more rapidly than you can actually test them so you know you can you can try and be a growth investor you can see what works in value investing you can try and be an income investor five times over before you've actually tested one of those strategies enough to get confirmation whether or not it works for you these things have to play out over years to for investors to really understand which one works for them and i think that that self-control is um uh important in this environment with news Always available, and for investors who are, you know, looking to do that for themselves, you know, please head over to Fool.com because <laughs> we, we we want to help you with it. We don't want to dial up the noise machine. We like to think that we have restrained coverage and restrained publishing on relevant uh, news stories. We try and provide context. That is a, our sort of our north star of everything that we publish needs to have investing context, and hopefully that keeps our our volume at a manageable level and our quality at a useful level. So, if investors are looking to to follow that same path of maybe you know reducing the number of new sources where they ingest from, I, I think Fool.com a, a great place to start.
0: And a, a point that I I hear from people that I meet, or occasionally there'll be a comment on Twitter or an email that we get, or something like that. Uh, I think it's worth pointing out uh, and reminding folks that because of everything you just said, we have differences of opinions, mm-hmm. and and I think that's probably confusing for some people because that doesn't really exist a whole lot elsewhere in the investing world. I mean, I think people are, particularly if you're my age, you're used to sort of a, I don't want to say groupthink, but if, if you've got your money with one brokerage, um, you're probably used to well, this is the brokerage's position on this stock, and we do not deviate from that. Whereas at Fool.com, yeah, you're going to get disagreements.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we we say it in our name, right, Motley. We we are a, a collection of perspectives that we try and offer individual investors to be the the own arbiters of their portfolio. We have no you know party line here at the Fool. There are certainly some stocks. I think actually, was it Pro and Hidden Gems actually have completely opposite positions on the same yeah. company, and we hope that that helps investors rather than confuses them although i will admit that we have not done the world's best job on fool.com of making it clear that that is the the case and that's the service we're trying to provide and at times that can be confusing so and certainly as you know we are trying to correct that and we're going through a a bit of a a a redesign that will hopefully help make that clear to investors that when you come to fool.com you are going to get all opinions and all perspectives on an equity so that you can be better informed yourself, and not just, you know, take your broker's party line because they happen to be the underwriter of that company.
0: <laughs> uh, do you think of yourself as a, a value investor, or, or do you even classify yourself and the way that you invest in one particular style, or do you just sort of think, well, no, I've got uh, I've got some value, I've got some growth, I've I, I run the gamut.
1: Uh, I would say my portfolio runs the gamut, and that's because I've spent the last few years. Basically, test driving all of the different approaches and advisors and uh, strategies at the Motley Fool to find the ones that were most fitting for me, and I've have settled at least today. Well, we'll see. <laughs> you know, a, a, right after I said that, the problem is that investors can change their approach more frequently <laughs> ah. than they can uh, evaluate them. Uh, where, where I have started to hitch my wagon to a little bit more consistently are the income side and sort of the the everlasting. Uh, it, Motes, for lack of a better word, which is you know very much a morning star versus motley fool term, but we try and invest you know in companies that have wide moat. So my portfolio will increasingly start to be income focused and moat focused, and that's just a product of my own temperament. I don't have uh, the the David Gardner um, temperament where I can withstand fifty percent drops and still get a, a good night's sleep, and that um, and I also have a different, a different objective of hopefully one day living off of my income without having to sell positions. So, those those realities have shaped my portfolio, um, and that's what allows me to sleep most comfortably and soundly.
0: I, I talked recently about um, just how it's human nature to react very positively when you see that your stock has popped. It's just, it's just inherently a good feeling. But, to touch on something you just said, I've come to realize over the last couple of years that I, I get just as excited, if not more so, when the light bulb goes off in my head and i realize not about the stock but that the business that i have bought shares of or own shares of has either mm-hmm. a moat or pricing power when they have demonstrated some sort of like uh, i've owned shares of chipotle for about a year and a half and congratulations well thank you but um but but uh, you know as nice a run as the stock has had the best i felt about it was when they executed their recent Price increase, and it worked out for them. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is you know this is great. This business is, you know, because w- whatever that's going to do for the stock over a three month period, what that means over the next arguably three, five, ten year period is, oh, they've got the pricing power that Warren Buffett says he wants to see more than anything else in a company.
1: So incredibly important. And on the flip side of that, you know, I, uh, I I'm a McDonald's shareholder, and I'll say it was incredibly. Uh, you know, well, d- depressing is probably too dramatic of a word, but um, telling to me that in their recent environment where they were having trouble with pricing, and you know, over the last few years they've struggled with this, their ability to raise prices and that moat does appear to be eroding a bit. Even though they have brand awareness, I think they have a wonderful real estate portfolio, their ability to raise prices, which has been a significant you know, uh, telltale sign of great stocks over the long run, does not appear to be as strong as it once was. And competitive offerings like chipotle and panera and starbucks appear to be the reason why and um so i, I actually had the the inverse uh, realization recently with with a position in my portfolio when you see them unable to do that it is very telling you have to start asking yourself whether or not they should be there for the next five or ten years uh, before we wrap... in your portfolio i mean yeah. not in existence <laughs>
0: uh, before we wrap up i uh, i had asked uh, james early this um so i will ask you as well as you look out over the rest of 2014, is there anything in particular that you're going to be watching for in the market, whether it's a given company, a given industry, or just uh, or just something in your own portfolio?
1: The the company I am most interested in, and this does not match quite with my my moats and income lien, and as such, I've actually divested a large part of my position, but I kept just enough to stay interested in the story, and that's Zillow. I think this company is so incredibly fascinating and on one hand what scares me about it is that i see the massive potential for disruption in the real estate industry but the path that they have to take as a combined entity with trulia to get there involves a chain of like 10 ifs and as you know you and i have talked about and i think you and uh, tim hansen have also talked about it, the the more you string together those if they do this and if they do this and if they do this you know well then they own the world wonderful <laughs> um so the string of ifs to get to like complete disruption in the real estate industry still strikes me as very long, but that end disruption it is such a massive industry. It's got so many archaic elements of it and just cobwebs everywhere, and it's fractured and disorganized. And I, I say that as a licensed agent and as somebody who grew up in a real estate family. So I'm not just I'm not just throwing stones here. That that that's relatively from the inside. So I think that they have such a great story, such high potential. Um, The future is still very uncertain. They Certainly, uh, the market is being very generous with their current valuation. But as far as stories go to watch, that one is one that I just can't stop looking at and asking questions about. And Spencer Raskoff has demonstrated himself to be a very deft uh, operator up until now, but it's still very early in the company's history. They're very much in high growth, high spend mode. And um, I'm, I'm very interested to see where he takes this company five to ten years.
0: Our CEO, Tom Gardner, recently sat down with Spencer Raskoff. Uh, he was kind enough to do an interview with Tom. Um, we're going to be playing part of that on the radio show, I think, this coming weekend. So, um, if not this weekend, then the next weekend. But uh, sometime before Labor Day, uh, so definitely worth checking out. Austin Smith, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hall. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.